<laughs> I just have to confess my weakness. <laughs> it's going to be hard to preach after that. Let's pray. God, you are a God full of mercy. And God, there are so many ways that we have rebelled against you. So many things we have left undone. But God, you are full of compassion. God, you came to us. And you lived a holy life for us. And you died on the cross in our place. And you rose from the grave victorious. That we might know the victory that is yours. So God, we praise you with thankful hearts for your great mercy. God, would you set our hearts upon your word now and upon your work. God, I pray that the words I say would bring honor to you. To you alone, Lord. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our victor, our Savior, our King. Amen. I grew up in Atlanta, and as a child in Atlanta, you were obligated to cheer for the Braves. And I say obligated because when I grew up, there was no reason other than obligation that you would want to cheer for the Braves. They were terrible. And I was quite critical of them. Well, in high school, they actually somehow figured out how to be really good. They went from last to first, and the whole place was in a frenzy. Everybody was cutting tomahawks in the side of their heads and walking around school doing the, the Braves tomahawk chant. It was just a madhouse. And as we went in the playoffs and saw that year, I, I was so frustrated at how many times these guys would strike out or not get the hit, not make the play, and, and this continued through the 90s until, uh, I guess it was 97, uh, 96, the Olympics came to uh, Atlanta, and the Braves got a new stadium, and I just, I would get so worked up watching the Braves and watching them uh, mess up, strike out, and I just couldn't believe they would do that right? Well, the first time I went to the stadium, they put a, uh, a simulator, a batting cage in, and you got to hit against John Smoltz or Greg Maddox, and I think the other one may have been Tom Glavin. You got to pick which one you wanted to hit against. All right. So I walked in there, and I'm not a baseball player, but how hard can it be, right? And I walked in there, got in there, and I picked John Smoltz. If you remember John Smoltz, John Smoltz could throw the ball faster than I can drive my truck. 
literally. And I stood in there and got in my stance, and I'm ready, and he, it's a simulator. You know, he, here he is, and he winds up, and he throws, and the ball literally hit the pad behind me, and then I swung. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I just need to get my time. And I think they gave you three, three tries at this, you know. And every time, it didn't matter, the last time, I tried to anticipate, like, when he started the wind-up, and then I just started swinging, and it still made it back there. My perspective changed quite quickly as to how difficult it was to hit a baseball going 95, 96 miles an hour. I, I couldn't do it. And I, I found myself that, you know what, I'm just not that critical anymore of a baseball player. The same thing, similar thing happened when growing up, my dad wasn't really that smart. He really had no wisdom, and I just wish he knew what I knew, right? Until... In 1999, Dad waved and pulled out of the parking lot in Texas. And I was standing there, looked over at Steph, and all of a sudden, Dad had this huge amount of wisdom and knowledge. And I think I was calling Dad before he got, I don't even think he got out of Fort Worth, Texas, before I had called him and said, hey, what are we supposed to do about this? And I called him constantly. Dad all of a sudden had great wisdom. Same thing happened with me for running. Cross-country can't be that difficult until the first time I ran GE Field. Has anybody run GE Field? There is no way on this planet you should ever complain or ridicule a kid for running a 5K at GE Field. If they cross the finish line, they have accomplished something. Now, here's the thing I learned in all that. My perspective changed greatly concerning the Braves. My perspective changed greatly concerning my dad. My perspective changed greatly concerning running GE Field. But you know what didn't change? In the midst of all that, there was nothing that changed about the fact that it's difficult to hit a major league fastball. That was true before and after. There was nothing that changed. My dad didn't instantly just drive out of the parking lot and all this wisdom dump upon him. He was the same man in an hour before that as he was when he left. And nothing has changed about GE Field from the time before I ran it to when I, after I ran it. The truth and the reality of what was in each of those circumstances never changed. But my perspective changed, and it changed quite quickly. And our passage this morning deals with that. It deals with how our perspective of the gospel, the word of the cross, as Paul calls it, changes radically when God opens our eyes to behold His mercy and His grace. So turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to read verse 18 to 31. This is a passage you've heard, I think, two to three times over the last month. This is a passage that, that God just keeps bringing to my attention and to my mind as we work through Romans. And even last week, you'll, you might recall, this is the passage that Bill had uh, Pastor Mike read in the, the time of hearing of the Word. And it's just a passage that God keeps setting before us. And so as we come before the Lord's table this morning, as we consider our thankfulness for God's mercy and His grace in light of our sin and His greatness, we want to look at this passage this morning. So hear the word of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want us to just briefly look at three things that change our perspective. When we look at these three things that Paul pulls out in this passage, our perspective changes of the word of the cross. And the first thing is when we look at the message of the gospel. When we look and behold the message of the gospel, our perspective changes. You almost get, when you read this first section, do you almost get a feeling of, of Paul kind of being a little sarcastic? Of Paul going, eh, you want to talk about wisdom? Let's talk about wisdom for a minute. What has the wisdom of the world achieved? What has it brought? What has it, it given you to gain? There, there's no wisdom in the world. So verse 18, he says, for the word of the cross, he's talking about the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that four there points back to verse 17, where he, he says, he's, he's kind of dealt with this whole idea that people are saying, oh, well, I, I follow Cephas, and I follow Paul, and I follow, and they just are picking people who they follow and who baptize them, and Paul's defending, he's saying, listen, that's not what it's about. As a matter of fact, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. That way you can't claim me. And in verse 17, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This isn't meaning that Paul didn't value baptism. What this means is that Paul understands that the gospel is primary, and baptism serves the gospel. And he, he comes, he says, he came to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That words of elegant wisdom, words just that, that a wordsmith coming just to impress people with the way they speak, he says, that empties the cross of its power. That's not what I came to do. That's not my desire. I came to preach the gospel in the power of God. And so he was not coming in elegant wisdom. He was not trying to appease the ears of the people. The power of the gospel is not in the way we make it sound to others. But the power of the gospel is in the work accomplished by Christ on the cross. That's the power of the gospel. And the problem is a lot of us flock these days to people who preach eloquently or speak with great persuasiveness. And we hear that and we, we have them all over social media. and YouTube is full of them and we just flock to it and we want to hear a good sermon and hear something that's 
eloquent, but that may be absolutely void of the life-changing power of the gospel of Christ. We can't be drawn to something that just sounds great. We need to be drawn to something that truly is great. And that's the gospel of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. And, and Paul says that, that the word of, cro- of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. It, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? Because it goes contrary to the message of the world. It goes contrary to, to the wisdom of man. The wisdom that would say you have to be wealthy to have value. The wisdom that would say that only those who are weak need the crutch of religion. The wisdom of man that would say, you know what, you need to clean yourself up and go to church and get cleaned up. And then you can do what you want to do. Or the wisdom that would say that belief in God is for those who don't believe science or or for those who just don't think for themselves. Or the wisdom of man that would say if you do enough good, you'll be okay when it's all over. Or the wisdom of man that says if you know enough, if you study enough, if you get enough degrees, if you study philosophy, these are the keys to life and you'll understand life. See, that's the wisdom of man. And that is folly because none of these hold true. None of them work out and endure. They change and they meet contradiction at every corner of life. But there's a contrast here, right? There's a contrast that Paul sets before us. He says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved what is it it is the power of God it's the power of God now what do we expect there what when you read that if you just kind of were going like word by word you know like the teleprompter that shows words as they go and it just paused and it said for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is what it says the power of God, but you might anticipate what? That it might say the wisdom, that he might contrast folly with wisdom, foolishness with understanding. But he doesn't. He contrasts folly with what? The power of God. And here's why. Because God does not try to match worldly wisdom with his wisdom. No, he destroys worldly wisdom with the power of the cross. That's what he does. That's why we can sing. That's why we, we stand and we sing of the power of the cross. This, the power of the cross, we sing. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, and we stand forgiven at the cross. That's power. That's not just worldly wisdom. To, say, to see the dawn, the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful man, the holy, just, righteous God of all creation. He's tried by sinful men, seriously. And then the almighty, sovereign creator of all things is torn and beaten and nailed to a cross. Oh, yeah. That's what happened because it's the power of the cross where Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. And because of his work, we stand forgiven. He does not match worldly wisdom with his wisdom. He destroys worldly wisdom with his power displayed on the cross. And that's why Paul can say, I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to save first the Jew and then the Gentile. It's the power of God unto salvation. And so he rests in that power. He declares that power. The life-changing power of God displayed on the cross destroys human wisdom. It shows how his grace and his mercy is displayed on the cross. And it changes our perspective. So you have the perspective of the one lost in sin who would look and say, man, the cross is just foolish. But then you have the one who is saved by Christ and the perspective is the cross has powerfully changed my life. You have the perspective of the blind who says, I can't see how trusting Christ can benefit me or save me or make any difference. 
Then you have the life-changing power of God that grants us the new perspective of understanding that I have been given and seen and experienced the grace of God and salvation through Christ. And I see how he guides my steps and he leads me in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or you have the perspective of the prisoner, the one bound to sin, enslaved to sin, that says, I cannot help but sin and I live in sin and I can't get out of it. But then you have the perspective of the freed in Christ who's been changed by the power of the cross. And he says, I am free not to sin and I can live my life as God has called me to live. I live for his glory and his glory alone. And oh, the blessing of living in Christ. God changes our perspective by the power of the cross. And knowing this, Paul then invites and he says, come on. Come on, all challengers. Where are the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Come on. Tell me what you've got. Tell me how you can contend with the power of the cross. Tell me how you can come upon that and think that you're going to be victorious and give a greater solution, greater wisdom by which man can be saved. It's not going to happen because man's wisdom is limited. He even says in verse 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It's God's design that we are never going to achieve a relationship with God and understand Him fully simply by our own wisdom. It pleased God to save us. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe, he says. (laughs) The folly. The folly that we would look and go, are you serious? A man who comes and dies and he dies on the cross? That's what saved? Yes, it is. Because you can't save yourself. Your soul that is dead and hopeless and lost in sin cannot arise out of that by its own power. It is only by the power of the cross because we serve a God who is powerful and who is mighty to save. The God who in Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Our God is powerful and mighty and he saves through the cross the second thing we look at is we look at ourselves Paul leads us to look at ourselves verse 26 to 29 he he uses the Corinthians who he's writing a letter to and says listen if you if you just don't even see what I'm talking about here as far as the power of God in contrast to the wisdom of the religious and the wisdom of the philosophers then might I encourage you just to look in the mirror? Might might I encourage you to remember that there was nothing that you did to merit salvation? That he he says that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. You see, the the world believes what? That it's, it's the wise, the intellectual, the powerful, the noble who are better off, who are more privileged. And and Paul says, no, (laughs) that's not what it is. Need I understand that that that's not where you came from? It may be the worldly wisdom, but guess what? Our wisdom, our influence, our riches do not grant us eternal life. No, as a matter of fact, it's laying all that aside and following Christ that grants us eternal life. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? He he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? See, Jesus said it's the humbling of ourselves before him and forsaking all of those things and following him that brings salvation. It is setting our influence and our power aside to serve Jesus as king and as our almighty Lord. It is our willingness to forsake all of our riches for the calling of Christ. That's what saves us. Why? Why? What does he say there? Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The same thing Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is a work of God. Why? So that no man might boast. There's no room for humility. We talked about that two weeks ago. That we cannot boast in ourselves. But we boast in Christ. So we have to stay mindful of who we are while keeping in full view God's amazing grace. We have to know and we have to sing. I love that song. Lord, have mercy. Why? Because it starts with us confessing our sins and who we are, but then it moves straight into what he did. It moves straight into God's mercy and God's work. It moves into us going, this is who I am, but this is who you are. There's this turmoil. I don't know if you experience this in singing that song, but when I sing that song, on one hand, I'm thinking of my sinfulness, but then I'm overwhelmed by God's mercy. I'm overwhelmed by his grace. See, the world, the perspective of the world leads us to look at ourselves and to think of what we deserve, what we're entitled to, and what other people should do for us. Isn't that not the problem that we see everywhere today? That the wisdom of the world says, listen, I'm entitled to this. This is what I deserve. This is what you should do for me. But the cross, the perspective of the cross reminds us that we deserve God's wrath. We're entitled to nothing, and God was not required to do anything for us. Oh, but... In his mercy, in his grace, in his love, in his wise and good and perfect plan, he sends Christ. He sends Jesus to live the perfect life and to die a substitutionary death on the cross in our place and to rise victorious of the grave that all who trust in him, all put, that put their faith in him would be saved. Man, the mercy and the grace of God. Thanks be to God for his grace it changes our perspective changes our perspective that we no longer just look at ourselves and look to ourselves and think for ourselves but we look to Christ and we look for him look to him for salvation we long for him and we move from selfishly just thinking for ourselves and thinking of his glory the needs of others and making known the grace of Christ to others who need it our perspective changes. The third thing we look at, Paul leads us in verse 30 and 31 to look at the Savior. To look at the Savior. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, when he says because of him, talking about God, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, that literally is from him. The, the word there is from him, because of him, the cause is God. We can't take credit for our salvation. We can't say it was about me, it was from me, it was something I did, it was my wisdom, my influence, my power, my intellect. No, our salvation is literally from God, and we wholly give him glory. Why? Because he is the only one who can receive glory. And Paul already said that the reason for that is that we might not boast in our own works and our own ability. It's not according to our wisdom. It's not according to our influence. It's not according to anything we're entitled 
for or deserving of that God adopted us into his family. He did so by his immeasurable grace. And we praise him for that. And he says, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So again, verse 30. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. It just simply means God brought true wisdom in Christ. He opens our eyes and understands that, man, I may have thought wisdom was me earning something or achieving something or being influential, but no. I understand now that that's just crazy. That's foolish if I do think that I can earn God's favor in that way. True wisdom is that I can't do that, but Christ can. Christ can save. Christ can redeem. And so once we, we once held, beheld the vanity and the uselessness and the trying to earn our salvation, we, we, once we see that, once we say, golly, it's just crazy. Why would I try to do that? In that moment, we see the wisdom of God in sending Christ. And we see in that moment, our perspective changed. We see that there truly was no other way for us to be saved. We, we see that there was no other person who could live without sin no other could ever be worthy no other could bear the full weight of the father's wrath no other could defeat death because he indeed is the life no other could pay the ransom necessary to secure our freedom no other's blood could validate the new covenant no other could bring life to our dead hearts jesus is worthy jesus alone is able jesus alone is our savior jesus alone is the king of kings and the lord of lords jesus alone is who we must depend on and look to for salvation it is Christ alone. Our perspective has changed. And I am thankful for that. I am thankful for that. And why? Why is he the wisdom of God, who, Jesus Christ, who became the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, three things that believers have in Christ. You're talking about identity and who am I? Here's three of them right here. Who am I? You want to know who you are, believer? You're the one who has been given righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You're, you're the one who, he says, first righteousness, that Christ has given us his righteousness, that we might stand before him. We are in right standing before God because of the blood of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. We are condemned no longer. We've been given the righteousness of Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3.9, his longing was to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You've been given the righteousness of God. It's been bestowed upon you. It's been imputed to you from Christ. Oh, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God in Christ. Righteousness has been given unto you, believer. And then he says sanctification. The, the word here is just the same word for holiness. It is focused on this positional sanctification that has been given unto you. It's the holiness given to believers by Christ. We have been set apart for his purposes and his plan. It's the same thing he said in chapter 1, verse 2 of this book. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. In verse, or chapter 6, verse 11, set later in Corinthians, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, to the, and by the Spirit of our God. You've been set apart. 
You have been set apart. This does not mean that you're perfect. It means that you have been set apart and he is gradually and progressively conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ, his son. He is making you holy as you walk this journey of faith. You have righteousness, sanctification, and third aspect of your identity in Christ is redemption that Paul talks about here. Redemption. (laughs) Our debt has been paid in Christ. Our debt is paid. Our freedom is secured. The ransom note that was demanded has been stamped paid by the blood of Christ. It was not red ink. It was red blood of Christ. It's paid in full by the blood of Christ. That note is taken care of. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have Redemption, (laughs) the forgiveness of sins. And then he says in Ephesians 1, 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to what we did, according to our wisdom, according to our influence, according to our nobility, According to our business success, according to our parenting skills, our athleticism, our ACT score? No. No. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. It's His grace. That's bestowed upon us salvation. So, maybe today your perspective has changed. Maybe you walked through the doors this morning thinking this whole Jesus thing is foolish. Maybe you walked through the doors this morning thinking this is just a game. Maybe you walked through this morning thinking I can earn salvation. I can be good enough. I'm a good person. But perhaps this morning you realize that that is true folly. And that you need Christ. And you need to know the life-changing power of the gospel. The invitation is very clear in Scripture. Repent and believe. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ in faith. How do, you, how do you do that? You, you simply come before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've lived as a transgressor, as a rebel. And I cannot save myself. I am absolutely hopeless to save myself. I need your salvation. God, I ask you to save me through faith, I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ and I am confessing Him as my Lord and I believe in my heart, God, that You raised Him from the dead. And Scripture says if you do that, if you come to God, you turn from your sins and you trust Christ, that you will be saved. And all oh, your perspective will change <laughs> because you will know the life-changing power of God and you will walk in newness of life. 
for the majority of us gathered here, our perspective has already changed. We live with this perspective of understanding Christ's work on the cross. And we understand the foolishness of everything else. We understand that it is the wisdom of God and it is the power of God for salvation for all who call on the name of Christ. We understand that. And because we understand that, we're going to gather and we're going to come before the Lord's table in remembrance of what he did. So I want to invite the deacons to come down. Deacons are going to come down and prepare to serve the elements this morning. If you're here and you're visiting and you are a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, we would invite you to partake of this as well. It is not our table at Grace Baptist. We do not own it. This is a time in which we remember as believers the work of Christ on the cross. And parents, I would just encourage you, if you have a child who has not confessed Christ, to use this as a moment to teach them, to share the gospel with them, and to allow the elements to pass by. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, for your mercy. We give you praise for your power and your plan. And we ask your blessing on this time as we remember what you did on the cross for us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I just invite you to be in an attitude of prayer as we prepare and give the elements.